Hey, what is up? You have found I Like the Blazers. I'm your host, Brandon Goldner, and today we're doing something very, very different. You know that the election is in 10 days. Please get out and vote before November 3rd. Uh, my brother, my brother Alex and I, my older brother, um, he wanted to start doing a pol- politics-adjacent podcast, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I think the best way to get started is to use this feed uh, and just see what people think about it. So we had a couple topics we wanted to hit. The conversation ran long. You know, he's we're brothers. We, we talk a lot. Um, but the hope is that we're going to be talking about stuff from slightly different perspectives to really get into more thoughtful discussion and conversation and pick apart things that are happening and also how topical news items, how they kind of fit into a more structural um, framework of politics in America in general. Basically, two people talking about stuff thoughtfully. That's the goal. I think it should be fun. Um, Yeah, and so without much further ado, no Blazers talk today, just politics. the the name of the podcast, the working name is The Gold Nerds. And so, yeah, let's tee it up. Here it is. Hope you appreciate it. And uh, yeah, please vote before November 3rd. Uh, go Blazers. Go Democracy. I'm ready to go. Yeah, it looks right. good. It then looks I'm recording. Good. Yep. I'm recording. So then here's a question. Which one of us wants to be... Recording. I'm recording too. Which yep, one of us? I'm recording. So I'm recording. And I'm definitely I, recording right now. It's on. Oh, the, actually, shit. I, I forgot one. Actually, one quick thing. Before um, I'm recording. I'm recording. Okay. Uh, I wanted to let you know that there's a lot of stuff going on right now. I mean, in general, but I am, in fact, recording. Well, I, what's that, Cassie? Oh, Cassie said that I'm recording. <laughs> I'm recording. <laughs> Which okay, one of cool. us wants to be definitely the? Host, I suggest you do it. So I think you should bring us into the show however you want, and then I will be the kind of the co-host. How's that? No way, no way. I I want to do it fifty-fifty. If anything, well, I mean, who's um, gonna br- who's gonna open the show? I think it should be you, and I want you to do it however you want to. Okay, I can do that if you want to. But you have to sing the uh, the mo- <laughs> you you ha- I'm gonna make you sing the Ducktales Moon theme while I do the intro. Oh man, you could, it's hard. Just a to- little bit. God, I know it's it like, like already. Just play it for a second. It's like wah 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 wah. Oh, that's right. Wah, 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 it kind of it's cool wah, because wah, the um... wah, 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 of the gold nerds. I am one of the gold nerds. I am here with my other gold nerd. Gold nerd, who are you? What's up? Uh, I'm Brandon. What's your name? I'm Alex Gold Nerd. Nice. Uh, yeah, fantastic. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for having me. Literally, you've had me, <laughs> and I appreciate it. So, why are we here? Know, what are we doing? <laughs> so, what what we're doing is, you know, we have been brothers for a long time. Basically, my whole life. You know, I've been brothers with you, and you brothers with me. Um, I've been brothers I, my whole life, so I feel like you have to catch up. That's true. I actually haven't been brothers with you my whole life. That's actually true. There was yeah. two years there where I was not. But it's pretty selfish of you, honestly. We, you and I tend to, um, we enjoy speaking. Um, we enjoy. We can both discussing. talk a lot. 
Yeah, we can. I can go on and on. And I had this vision of, you know, attempting, and this is our first attempt, um, putting this together into a podcast format and just seeing what it sounds like, basically for my own entertainment and as a way to hopefully soothe some of my political anxiety, since you have a lot more expertise when it comes to the field. And oh, I so this is just another political podcast, just another talking head podcast, huh? Well, I'm hoping that it's going to be my head talking and your head offering me insight into whatever concerns I may have. And maybe someone out there shares those concerns and maybe not. But I think, you know, in general, that's about it. That's what I got. No, that's pretty good. I think the other thing I would add to that is that you and I, I would say that we're both relatively thoughtful people, but we definitely don't agree on everything or even on most things. And so that's what I'm hoping to get out of this. I hope that people get out of it is that you have two people who care about stuff and they look at it differently. And I think that that in and of itself will be helpful. Um, and I'm going to have to totally disagree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So yeah. anyway, we're so, okay. I mean, you and I are both born and raised in Oregon. Um, so I don't know how much, you know, that affects the show but it definitely affects our worldview um do you want to give us just like a little brief kind of if you were to give like a 30 second elevator speech on our upbringing how would you des- describe it to somebody i would say welcome to the left coast i would say steeped in a tradition of liberal dynamics um but also from a somewhat uh contentious household an argumentative household that led us both to enjoy being put on the opposite foot sometimes and i think it's given us a unique insight into possibly the worldviews of other people as i've aged i've realized just how vast the country is in with regard to political persuasion and how many different uh, varieties of of thought there are out there, and I'm just the older I get, the more I'm interested in trying to understand what is the situation that could cause that could that could bring the whole country together. Honestly, now you know I'm a dad. I got two little kids, five year old and a three year old, and I am very much um, concerned that the path that we're taking right now as a country, the uh, if you extrapolate from where we're going with the rhetoric on a national level, we could be heading for a bit of a disaster as far as trying to actually come together as a country. I don't know if that's something we even want to do anymore. Maybe we're like, uh, you know, a, a bad marriage and we just need to get a divorce, <laughs> the wow. left and the right in this country. I know it's a big statement, but um, I think you and I are obviously, you know, we're, we're from the left coast. I mean, what would you add to that no that's good i think something you said in there jumped out which is i think when we were growing up we did grow up in a household that sometimes wanted to argue for the sake of it not necessarily trying to support an argument but just seeing who can yell the loudest and kind of beat someone into submission um verbally which is i mean that's what the country has become to your point and i think both of us we don't appreciate that having grown up in it it wasn't very much fun and um, it, it sucked, frankly. I mean, the other thing I'd say about where we grew up, yes, like steeped in, in liberal ideology, but also we grew up in a very, very white town. I mean, we grew up in Corvallis, Oregon, um, and especially when we were kids in the early 90s, uh, not super diverse at all. And so I think we grew up in the kind of, 
oh, you know, racism is over. You know, Martin Luther King was very peaceful. And, you know, I, I think what we didn't get growing up was, you know, first of all, like a look into how some of the stuff that happens in our country affects people who didn't look like us and who didn't have what we had. We didn't get a ton of that. And also just not a ton of history on the struggle of this country to even get to where we are today, which is still deeply, deeply imperfect. And I think that's an important part is that, I mean, we just were not exposed to lots of different views when we were growing up. I don't know. Would you say that's fair? I would. And the other thing I want to add about this po- this particular podcast is I don't know if you know this about me. I think you probably do just by, you know, having had conversations with me, but I don't know if I've, you know, spelled it out explicitly. I am I've been particularly fascinated with the world of conspiracy theories for about 10 years now when some acquaintances of mine ended up going down the rabbit hole with Alex Jones and discovering, you know, secret knowledge there that they then want to knowledge. Yeah, I mean be- there there is this human need to feel part of an in-group or to feel part of a elite, you know, a cloister of individuals who know something that the rest of the people don't know. I mean, I, I think that this sort of need that humans have has been exploited to mobilize a political movement, and I find it particularly terrifying because like i said i mean i've been sort of studying um the development of conspiracy theories for almost a decade now and i've just watched in horror as things that used to lie on the fringe of our society have basically made it right onto don jr's twitter feed and made it right onto the president's (laughs) twitter feed you know um specifically talking about things like QAnon, which we can get into later but i want to kind of focus this in brandon for a minute here okay it is 2020 and i think a lot of us are nervous right now on the left and the right i'll reach out to both sides tell me why this isn't 2016 tell me because it's starting to feel a lot like 2016 I never want to make a Hillary stake. <laughs> uh, so I really, I really don't want one. <laughs> Neither do I. Why is 2020 not like 2016? Okay, so yes, there's an election going on, and you're right. People are just feeling weird. There are a couple big reasons why this year is not like four years ago. Um, I want to preface this by saying. Uh, you know, either candidate could still win this election, right? We're talking about the presidential election. Either candidate could still win. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So a couple things that are different. One, there are far fewer fewer undecided voters and people voting third party in 2020 than there were in 2016. That means both candidates have a slightly higher level of support. And essentially, there are fewer people that you can shake from the apple tree to then land on one side or the other of the two major candidates, Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Fewer undecided. Is it only apple trees or are are there other fruits available? I'm hoping that there are plums, maybe some pluots, um, (laughs) pears. Uh, Yeah, anything anything that starts with a P would be great. (laughs) So that's one thing that's different. A second thing that's different that's pretty obvious, uh, Joe Biden's lead in this election has been larger and steadier throughout. So with Hillary Clinton and Trump, you saw... You know, Hillary was ahead on the whole most of the time, but her lead was smaller and it kind of dipped in and out quite a bit. So so that's different. Um, a third thing when you're looking at polling, and I don't want to go too far into this, but uh, the way in which pollers, um, they weight their sample. There are a lot pollsters. of people. Pollsters. Pollsters. Thank you. Pollsters. Sorry. 
Uh, there were a lot of people in 2016 who did not have a college degree who support Donald Trump, and the pollsters did not weight those people very heavily. And that's one of the major things that has shifted in 2020 is that now when you look at methodology, you can see essentially it's gone from 55% of people with a college degree in those polls to closer to 35%. So that's a little bit different. The last thing, and then I'll shut up, that's different Donald Trump is no longer an unknown quantity, right? Donald Trump ran on, I'm not a politician. You know, I'm going to drain the swamp. People didn't really know who he was outside of his personality. He's now been president for four years. He has a record that he has to run on to defend. So for all those reasons, even though anything could still happen, uh, 2020 and 2016 are a little bit different. I agree, and I have two points to make. The first thing, and I, re I really need – this is why I need to do this podcast because I need you to explain some things to me. That tone of voice when Trump is like it, – it's like dripping with condescension. It's like, listen, Joe. Uh, uh, uh. Like what do you describe – how do you describe that? What is that? What is What are people supposed to get from that? Is it is it like subdued hatred? Is it like incredul incredulousness? What is it? Incredulity. Um, Incredulity, you, and yes. Uh, are you talking about kind of the tone that Trump struck in the second and final presidential debate? I absolutely am. And yes, in the third debate of 2016. I think that you can probably describe that as Trump trying to suppress himself. Um, clearly, in 2020, in the first debate, he was talking over Joe Biden. He was very angry. That didn't play super well. So somebody told him to tone it down. That's his attempt to tone himself down. Um, and as you find, that's not his natural state, right? His natural state is him, Trump, in front of a lot of people who agree with him at rallies, right? Him kind of yelling and going on and on, people cheering every word. So that kind of like playing behind a little bit, like that's not his strength and that's not where he really likes to be, but that's his attempt to tone it down. Okay, so that was the first thing. Okay, so the second thing is I, I think a big difference this time. In, in 2016, Trump was running against Hillary Clinton, right? He, he was yeah. in some ways, like you said, an unknown quantity. He was sort of a blank slate. He was very successful at painting Hillary Clinton as a corrupt politician, which is a, an image that had been fostered by the right for, you know, since Clinton was president, since before Clinton was president. Right. And I feel like Joe Biden, in a sense, and I think very intelligent is running a bit of an opaque campaign. His campaign a lot of times is, you know, I'm not Trump. I'm a decent guy. And in a lot of ways, he just has to sit back and let Trump shoot himself in the foot. Here's the thing that's – and, and uh, you know, this is backed up by some of, of Joe Biden's uh, political advertisements where he might just show Trump saying something crazy and then just flash a Biden-Harris logo across the screen and that's the I approve ad. this message. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Like, like there was one that I saw that was hilarious. Trump's up there and he says, if you elect Joe Biden, he's going to listen to the scientists. And it's like, yep, we will. That's it. That's, that's all we need to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's but, pretty yeah, – oh, sorry. Go for it. My, my final point is what is concerning to me is I think Trump's strategy the whole time – and I think this plays into why he's been attacking – I mean I think there's a variety of reasons why he's been attacking uh, mail-in ballots. But I think one of the reasons is he is looking for that – quick impulse decision of trying to get people to immediately change their minds just before they vote they vote by coming forward with this you know f fake scandal or some sort of revelation a big flashy finale because he's a TV guy right he's putting on a TV campaign and that is what has me so nervous here you know how how many days to voting right now we're like 10 days out or ten something days out I think so I oh, think you're right ten days out. I think Trump is trying to replay the greatest hits of 2016 <laughs> And you're right. You're right that 
2016, Hillary Clinton was a deeply unpopular candidate from the get-go. She had been, like you said, um, her character had been, you know, justly or unjustly, had been smeared uh, for years. She was uh, attacked by proxy because of her association with Obama when she was Secretary of State. Um, and, you know, he had the whole Benghazi thing. At the point at which Hillary Clinton became the Democratic nominee, people had very strong feelings about her. You can't forget the fact there's a lot of sexism that goes into that because she's a woman, right? Like so many different dynamics that were headwinds for Hillary Clinton, which is why at the time in 2016, remember, there were no Democratic candidates who wanted to run against Hillary Clinton except for Bernie Sanders. My sense is that every other Democratic candidate wanted to respect that the Democratic National Committee thought it was basically Hillary Clinton's time to get a shot to become president after losing to Obama in 2008. And I fundamentally think that was a huge mistake, right? And you got a candidate who was, justly or unjustly, as I said, deeply, deeply flawed, and Trump absolutely took advantage of that. Absolutely. I mean, he Trump, for whatever... I mean, for as much as I despise the man, I have to respect his genius in putting forth a campaign that was quite successful when, you know, many, many, many people said it was just not possible. Now, I want to I want to focus back in on sort of the meat of this podcast, which is, again, you psychoanalyzing me and trying to put me at ease about uh, events in the world. That's really the whole goal here. <laughs> and may so not again, always I, be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, can you at least try? You're my brother, so you have to try. You have to help me out. Okay, okay so I I have been sitting back and watching the news, okay, <laughs> the, the news writ large. Now, I don't know if, if a lot of people do this or if it's just me because I'm sort of a news junkie, but I go to the CNNs. I go to the New York Timeses. I go to the Fox Newses. I occasionally traipse onto the Breitbarts, but I mostly get my right-wing news from Fox News because I feel like it is the mainstream uh, version of what the right has to offer. It's the stuff you see on TVs in barbershops and at gyms, right? Like it's kind of what's what's on in the background for people who live in more um, conservative areas. And honestly, the distinguishing line between what's on Breitbart and what's on Fox News has really become pretty blurry. I mean, you, you'll see a lot of the same themes now. I mean, I remember when the Drudge Report was like way far right. Now when I go to the Drudge Report, it's, it, it almost feels like it's center, which is kind of unbelievable. But Well, I mean, not so, to go too far, but, but that dude had a schism with Trump about a year and a half ago. That explains part of it. Oh, perhaps. So he's actually maybe a bit of a free thinker and not just towing the line. Because right now, I mean, Fox News, over the course of the last few months, they were publishing some some pieces that were mildly critical of Trump. But it, within the last couple of weeks, they they are in lockstep with the right-wing media machine, and they have not published a single story that makes Trump look anything but incredible. Um, which, you know, you if you choose to get your news from, from those places, you should know what you're getting, right? Like, when I go to... I, I don't particularly like MSNBC. Um, I, I do think it's it's very much a biased news source when it comes to the left, right? And perhaps I don't know if you enjoy you know consuming news that's sort of prepackaged for you, but I don't like when someone gets up on a, a screen and tells me this is what happened and this is what it means. That's not how I consume news. Um, when it comes to a form like what we're doing on podcasts, that's where I like to hear opinion. But when it comes to news, I sort of like. 
I sort of like things to be a little bit more objective so I can make my own opinion. Okay, well, so actually, me, can I make a comment about that? Of course, Brandon. Brandon, I, oh, you thanks, don't Alex. need to ask. You I really I, don't. I would actually argue that part of news is not just presenting the news. I think that good reporters should have some context because they've been doing their job for a long time and be able to connect dots between things that are happening now and things that have happened in the past so that you can spot patterns, so that you can spot where people may be pulling the strings so that you can better see the power dynamics that create the events that they're then reporting on. And I think that is an art that has been lost in favor of anytime something happens, if it's for my candidate, I'm going to support it. If it's against my candidate, I'm going to be against it. So I do think that there's something about good reporters actually shouldn't be totally absent from the news they're reporting. They should be doing some analysis. They should be pulling some things that have happened in the past so that we can better understand why this matters or why it doesn't matter. Because me as the viewer, I may not be able to do that by myself. In fact, I, I, I shouldn't be able to do that by myself because I have a life, I have kids, I have a job, right? I have a mortgage. Um, so I would just say that I, I would actually appreciate news that did that a little bit more, but if it did it well. Well, you're, I think you're giving the news organizations a lot of credit, too. I mean, let's not sit here and pretend that they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. These are businesses, right? Like, right. And part of the reason that we've gone into this hyper-polarized news, news field, or I don't know, whatever you want to call it, news environment, is people tune in expecting a certain message because at the end of the day, they get home from work, stretching out on the couch. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to get angry at the news. They want to hear you know information that supports what they already believe. And that's part of the problem that we've been having. But uh, so let me I want to focus in on this idea of and you we, we were discussing this in the in our phone call last night, disinformation versus misinformation yeah. and how that is how that has been utilized so effectively by by Donald Trump and by politics, po- politicians writ large, I'd say specifically on the right, but I'm sure we could find good examples on the left as well. First off, what's the difference between disinformation and misinformation? Yeah, so misinformation is information that's not accurate, um, but there may not be intent behind it. So, for example, you're trying to get someone to register to vote, and you send them a link to a website, and the, the link is the goes to Colorado instead of Illinois. That would be misinformation. Disinformation is information that is incorrect with intent to deceive somebody. So when you're talking about disinformation, you're talking about people releasing Information that is not true with the intent to confuse. Um, In Donald Trump's case, he does it often to undermine people's trust, either in the news media or even in our elections itself, which I'd like to talk about in a little bit, um, which is particularly scary. But the goal of disinformation is to make people feel like they cannot trust what they're hearing and seeing. Um, And Donald Trump and the Republican Party uh, have been doing that more and more over the last four years, but it's it's nothing new. And I think that goes into a, a larger problem for Republicans that their demographic is shrinking and their main strategy going forward for maintaining political power is disenfranchisement of voters. I mean that is just an absolute yeah. known. I mean they'll, they'll admit to that as such. So – Okay, we've got a, a news environment, a political environment where what are we relying on mostly? Are we relying on disinformation or misinformation? What would you say? It depends, right? I mean, to your point about when I come home and flop on the couch, I just want to hear stuff that I already agree with. 
Um, if it is a channel like Fox News, there is a lot of disinformation, right? I would say misinformation would be incomplete reporting. Um, it would be, you know, presenting something without context, without any intent to deceive. I think when you get to that point where you're trying to persuade someone's opinion by what you're presenting, that's the disinformation. And it is particularly frustrating because there was a time, you know, not so long ago, maybe a generation or two ago, when people really valued the pursuit of truth. That's not what people tend to value so much anymore, right? It's the pursuit of being right that people want to get at. And to me, there's something that really needs to shift within all of us, within me and you, everyone listening to this, everyone who's consuming the news, where we have to admit when we are wrong because we're not interested necessarily in being right. We're interested to get into the truth of the matter, and that really, really has been lost, and it's extremely frustrating now that when you see people are arguing at Thanksgiving or arguing online— they're not trying to create a case to persuade somebody. They're trying to basically bully them into submission and just want to be able to stand on top of the hill and say, I was right and you were wrong. And I think that fundamentally, like people have to care about the pursuit of truth for any of this to change meaningfully, I think. I can't think of a better example of, of what you what you just mentioned than if you go back to the RNC. I remember just being chilled by this position statement they came out with. They basically said in lieu of any policy declarations, in lieu of any new plans, we are basically just pledging allegiance to whatever Donald Trump decides is best for the country. And that is what the RNC stands for, America first, love RNC. And – and that just goes to your point of it doesn't really matter what we're arguing for. It just matters who we're arguing on behalf of, right? And if we win, we were successful, and the rest of it doesn't really matter. Now, if I were a ruling elite, that's exactly how I would want people to view my political movement. Don't worry about what I'm actually going to do when I get power. Just put me in power because the other guy is so bad. He's so corrupt. He's you know washed up. He's old. He's senile. His son accepted money from a Ukrainian company, whatever it is. Don't worry about you know what the actual policies are. And it is kind of stunning the degree to which they've been successful in getting people to take their eye off the ball. And I've been seeing the Democrats keep trying to come back to, uh, you know, what are we going to do about health care? What are we going to do about the environment, for instance? What are we going to do about specific issues? And that is just not where the Republicans want to be right now. Well, and so, there, there's something that you've said in the past that I uh, totally agree with. That ability for conservatives to rally around one person or one message and not really question it, that has benefited them, and it's hurt progressives because they are unable to do that because they tend to be more critical. They, they tend to want to get to the truth of the matter a little bit more ideologically, and the, the infighting and the inability for progressives to glom together, that is a huge reason why progressive policies have not been as successful locally or nationally as they could be. And again, you've said this a lot. Like it or not, conservatives understand that. And guess what? They pass laws and they win elections without clear majorities. And we wonder why. It's because they fall in line, right? And that is um, extremely dangerous. And it's why, I mean— Again, Republicans have been governing this country with minorities across the country for a really long time, and particularly now. I mean, remember Hillary Clinton? She didn't lose the she didn't lose the popular vote. And when you look at how districts have been gerrymandered, there there are more Democrats and Republicans, or more liberal leaning people than conservative leaning people in this country right now. But that is not reflected in our government. Part of that is conservatives know when to rally behind the flag, and they do it, and they do it really well. All right, so let me let me a ask a question here. So, if you had to sum up, you know, 
left-wing ideology and right-wing ideology in like a couple of sentences, central arguments from both camps. What would you say? You could start with the left since it might be easier for you. Oh, how dare you? Think it's easier for me? <laughs> I'm going to start with the well, right just because you said that. How dare you not to follow my recommendation? I think <laughs> it's also important <laughs> to note that ideology in America it shifts over time, right? It may be a little regional, and it's also very different here in America than in other countries. So we're really talking about kind of nationwide ideology in America right now, okay? Oh yeah. So right, right, right. Um, if I were after cons- this, I do I do want to move on to Finland. I assume you've you've studied up on political movements within Finland. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm totally okay, ready to talk about. We'll, we'll do that next. Uh, conservative conservatism really revolves around freedom, right? My freedom to be able to do what I want. And uh, that is central to um, how people connect with their politics and to policies. So whenever you get into specific policies that have to do with something that may require you to sacrifice for the benefit benefit of other people, conservatives tend to be more skeptical about that because they believe it impinges upon their freedom. Um, Whereas liberal ideology really is more about the collective and seeing government as a counterweight to forces that would otherwise not be helping people equitably. So in that, you have kind of a very basic uh, tension. Conservatives view government skeptically, skeptically and think its only role is to kind of preserve people's individual freedom, whereas liberals tend to view government as a protector of the collective good. And we can go a lot deeper into either of those, but if I were to explain it quickly, that's how I'd do it. And now the interesting thing, uh, particularly about our country, you've got you get two choices, two polar opposites. We have Democrats, we have Republicans, but then you have this interesting group in the middle, the independents, right? And it's this group that we're often focused on when we talk about polling or we talk about you know how how a particular candidate is doing with the independent uh, population because this is the this these are the people that we refer to as swing voters, right? It it. It astounds me. It boggles my mind to think of a person who could vote for Obama twice and then vote for Trump, right? That just does not make any sense to me. So we have to take a step back and understand that people aren't, you know, one or the other. People are not – I mean some yeah. some folks are. I think you and I are probably more radicalized than, than other folks to our particular ideology. But there are folks in the middle who just sort of catch these broad arguments and they say, eh – Maybe give me a little of this, a little of that. Maybe if you mix those two together in equal proportions, we'll come up with something good. And I think that's something that is going to go on as long as we continue to run elections the way that we've been running elections in this country. So, okay, we've distinguished between left and right ideology. Okay, so now – we have something on top of it. Before I was mentioning the RNC, you know, their their mission statement for this election is we're going to support whatever Trump, you know, whatever Trump says is the right thing to do. So I'm going to identify a a third type of philosophy, a philosophy called Trumpism. Now, what is Trumpism? Can you define that? Yeah, I, it, it's hard because you're right. It's a a mutation of kind of Reagan era conservatism. Um, it's you know it's it is hard to describe um it it spe- so there's a difference between what trumpism wants to be purports to be and what it is in practice i would say what it wants to be and purports to be is government is corrupt and you've all been getting screwed and 
you all need someone to fight for you because you've been stepped on by the government and your freedom will shine through if you trust me, Trump. It's o- it's almost like libertarian populism, which is which is really interesting because it, it, the things that Trump purports to to believe um, and, and the things that he says that he'll do. I mean, he often will say the opposite um, at, at another time. So I think broadly, I mean, Trumpism is a cult like following to one individual, right? So uh, here's my here's let me drive drive down a little deeper on this. If Donald Trump were removed from the political scene, is there anyone in his place who could step in and do what he does right now? Do you think? Maybe no one person, but I think it would honestly, and this is where we finally disagree. I think it'd be a huge mistake to attribute Trumpism to Trump. I think it's a a handy way to describe something that's been bubbling for a while. Actually really started with... um, it started lots of different places, but the point at which I saw it start was Sarah Palin being the running mate to John McCain and really opening the door to what then followed with you know Tea Party Republicans, remember those folks, who primaried a ton of longstanding conservative Republicans to this you know, extremely, you know, uh, deregulation focused, you know, quote unquote, freedom focused, um, you know, I've, I'm a white guy and I've been aggrieved by everything that's happened, sort of slice of the country, which Republicans were, were, you know, totally happy to start riding that train. And then it led to someone like Trump, who has super activated that base of people. And it's it's part of the reason not to go too far in one direction, but part of the reason why when you look at Trump's approval and disapproval ratings, he's been unpopular his his entire tenure, but his support will never dip below right around 38, 39%, which is terrifying, actually, if you think about it. Uh, But I would just say that, yeah, I wouldn't attribute Trumpism to Trump himself. And while I can't pick one figure who would necessarily take his place, I think there are probably plenty of people waiting in the wings who can tap into that that same kind of sentiment too. We we could agree that Mike Pence wouldn't be able to pull that off though. Mike right? Pence would not be able to pull that off. No. <laughs> because okay, so to be a populist, you need to be you need to be viewed as sort of a man or woman of the people. I think that was the which the is like how that... how in the fuck does anyone look at this orange dude with a gold toilet and say that he's one of us? But that is exactly what he did. But it it fucking boggles my mind. Like it seriously. Well, like this guy was born on third base and thinks that he hit a triple. It's it's unbelievable. Like I, I just I can't believe that he was able to do that. It's actually pretty impressive. I think a lot of it has to do actually getting back to you know disinformation, misinformation, or just information bubbles in general. Trump came to the mainstream, you know, espousing viewpoints um, and storylines that people have been consuming in right wing media for some time, and I think popularized these. I'll just call them memes, you know, popularize these to a new section of independent voters who maybe hadn't been familiar with them previously. So I think it was almost like a I don't want to call it like a confirmation bias for people, but I think it came across as finally there's a politician telling me the truth, both with Sarah Palin and with Trump. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll concede that point to you. I think Trump is particularly effective, though. I just think he, he has this ability to be charismatic. I mean, I've, I've actually seen Trump speak in person. I know I've told you the story of seeing well, Trump. Well, yeah, I mean, you're a huge Trump supporter. 
No, I wouldn't say that. But I <laughs> just kidding. I was I was fascinated, you know, um, when when Trump came to town, and I did see him speak in in an airplane hangar. And I have to say, the guy puts on a fantastic show. I felt like his speech lacked any depth. Um, the The content of his speech was, you know, these were the hits of 2016. This was when Lock Her Up and CNN sucks. These were fresh ideas that people hadn't heard, and people, I think, in in some ways, were thirsting. To to go to a political rally and feel that sense of communal dedication to a politician that Trump is able to make that happen. That's one of the reasons why – I mean people – I think people criticize Trump and say, well, he only wants to do his rallies because he's narcissistic and he needs to get up there and, and he loves to hear people cheer. I'm sure all of that's true. But it's also a very effective tool for social change when people are having a shared experience and a shared – I'll just call it joy at all being on the same page. Aren't we great? We're all yeah. here together. We're all saying the same thing. And we've all, These- we, we've all experienced that. Right. Whether it's a political rally or you're at a movie where the whole crowd is kind of all into it or you're at a sports event, you know, like I'm a huge Blazers fan. And you're right. Like you do. You kind of leave with a a buzz of, wow, we were all experiencing that together at the same time. Churches. Right. Like right. that's. Uh, yeah. It, it made me laugh when you said that. I for some reason, the first thing that came to my mind, I have no idea why I was like Shamu at SeaWorld, like doing the big splash and the front row gets wet. and Everyone's like, ah, and the water's. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, well, that's and, how it. That's how it felt at Trump's rally, only it was a big spray of bullshit being uttered by his mouth. People were just bathing and basking in it. Well, it's it really funny was because, like, without getting into details, I mean, there's someone who was is close to you who has really bought into this ideology, right? I mean, and I think part of, without speaking out of turn, I think part of your fascination with some of this is sort of like, how was this person roped into this exactly? Like, this person who's intelligent and, you know... Um, it, successful by most means um and i i just think that that is it is like nothing wrong with trying to figure out what the what the attraction is oh my god all right so i'm moving on i'm moving (laughs) on i did that pretty artfully though right like there's no (laughs) yeah yeah you're totally fine oh i mean i i know multiple folks who are supporting trump and i definitely don't understand how anyone can support him but at the same time i you just said you said exactly how right you just said how uh, yeah, but I mean, if you're thinking critically, and I mean, maybe it's just I have a very paranoid nature, and I just feel it's a big danger when you have the president of the United States going up in front of people and saying the media is bad, negative things that are reported about me are false. All of them, they are all without merit because they are negative and they were reported about me. So, and when, it, when, <laughs> yeah, and I, so this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. How do we push back against that as a country? And I would just say, one way to do that is to be comfortable saying when you're wrong or to be comfortable saying when a candidate you support does something that you don't support. And have you noticed if you've if you've ever made the mistake of getting into an argument with a Trump supporter online, my experience shows that all, without being hyperbolic, almost every single time without exclusion, they cannot bring themselves to say that Anything Trump does is bad. They must justify every word and every action that he takes. 
And that is extremely dangerous. And I think that one way that we kind of as a society with our kids, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our students, with our teachers, with our bosses, with our colleagues, one way we can push back against that as a collective is to be more comfortable saying when we're wrong, being more comfortable saying when we've messed up, and being more comfortable saying, yeah, that candidate I support, that thing that they did or said, I do not support them. If people got more comfortable doing that, I think we'd be better off. Trump himself demands that of people and demands that of himself, and part of that is his narcissistic personality disorder. It just is. But I would say one one of the most effective ways to fight back against misinformation is to – we need to talk about sources, right? We need to go back. You remember when the internet was brand new and the first computer was in school, and it was all about, well, what's your source? You know, If you're on the internet, what's your source? That is completely lost now. You know, It's like I saw it online, so uh, and my friend posted it on Facebook, and multiple people are saying. I mean Trump even goes so far as to say, you know, I hear a lot of people are saying, okay, well, that doesn't mean anything. A lot of people say a lot of different things. But I think the most effective <laughs> way to combat that is to say this person is saying X, Y, Z because their actual goal is this, right? The reason Trump is talking about – Joe Biden's awful flub about how he wants to get rid of oil, which everyone knows is not going to happen. (laughs) Okay, we're going to get rid of oil, right? Okay, we've got everybody's cars running on gas right now. We're just going to get rid of all the gas stations, right? That's what Trump would have you believe. On day one, all of the gas stations are going to have a close sign on them, and you're going to have to buy an electric car or you're walking. That's basically the argument, right? The reason Trump wants to talk about that is he doesn't want to talk about the fact that we just reached a very disturbing milestone with the coronavirus, which – should be and in fact is the biggest issue of the moment, right? We've got almost a thousand people a day are are going are dying now or going to be dying soon. I just read an article that it could be up to over two thousand, two thousand nine hundred Americans dying daily of coronavirus by December. We just diagnosed yesterday, I believe it was eighty three thousand cases, the highest case count for a single day that's ever occurred. And this is the final ten days before the election and Trump's strategy, as I said before, I believe his strategy was to this Hail Mary at the end, right? Just convince three, four percent of of people who are kind of swingy voters to vote for him at the very end and just, again, squeak out a win. And then if, if it comes down to one or two states, litigate the hell out of those states and hope that he comes out on top. That is the strategy. We know that's the strategy. He said as much. So how do we – Turn the public discourse. What do we do to turn the public discourse back to reality-based arguments, reality-based events? What do we do to do that? Do we just keep saying the same thing over and over again? Do we have to say it from a different way? What do we do? What do we do? So I would argue the first thing is like this is not going to happen overnight. This change will not happen overnight. And Okay, I'm disappointed. Just turn it off now. I'm done. I know. Well, that's the thing. That's the first thing is like this, where we've gotten to, it's, it's, it's going to take time to, to work our way through it. And again, I'd repeat that, that one of the most important things you can do is model within yourself and without, with the people around you those qualities that you care about, which is the pursuit of truth, admitting when you're wrong, explaining why you reached a conclusion that you reached. That's actually really, really important. The other thing we can do, again, we're talking about things that we, you and I can control today, right? Even though it may take time to change, what can I do today? That's one thing you can do today. Another thing you can do today is when you are having a discussion with someone that you don't agree with, go Uh, back when you're talking with them about an issue, try to go work your way backward to a point at which you do agree and start talking there. Because for example, when you start talking about climate change, right? You don't want to start the conversation with someone you don't agree with, with, 
I think we should invest $3 trillion into clean energy. If they don't agree with that, you probably shouldn't start there. You should start with, okay, do you believe that climate change is caused by people? Okay, you don't. Let's take a step back. Do you believe that there has been a change in the climate over the last 20 or 30 years? Yes or no? If you do that, at some point, one of two things will happen. You'll either find a point of agreement, and then you can start discussing there, or you will find that your kind of base assumptions are so incongruent that it's not worth having the conversation, right? Because spending all this time just trying to defend your view when you don't have common agreement is not a good use of time, and that's not going to help change the discourse. So those are two things that you and I can do right now. And I want to I want to keep this conversation focused on coronavirus, uh, but I want to make one point about what you just said. So with regard to climate change and specifically what Joe Biden said about oil, which was a fantastic um, – it was it was one of the least articulate things I've ever heard Joe Biden do, and it was it – was, That's it was saying something. <laughs> it was very – it was very disappointing. But rather than even even mention climate change, can we just start with – Okay, the amount of oil in the ground is finite. The amount of natural gas in the ground is finite. No one believes that we're going to stop using non-renewable energy tomorrow, right? Nobody believes that. But shouldn't we have a plan for 15, 30 years down the road so that we can be dominant in whatever sector comes next, whether it's, you know, wave, solar, wind, whatever. But that aside, let me focus back on COVID. Okay. We have – the reason COVID is so interesting to me with regard to misinformation, disinformation is we we now have a, a, a long history with COVID, right? We remember when it started. You know, what was Trump's initial message about COVID? Do you remember back when, when COVID first started and it was popping up in China? What was his message at that point? Not a big deal. It's not going to come here. Um, don't worry about it. Great. Okay. Yes, that's what he said. Exactly. Okay. And then it came here and – and what it's a areas? Couple of cases. Yes, going to go right? away really quickly. Okay, and then we started seeing images of hospitals filling up, and we started seeing images of doctors in ICUs with patients hooked up to ventilators in the hallways. And then the message was what? I uh, I don't know. Tell me. The the message was this is only hitting liberal areas. Oh, Do you yeah, remember that? Right. It's the most awful – I mean it's just at, at every level a justification of why this isn't my problem, right? You're the American president and people are dying in New York. I mean at that point it was mostly New York. Um, and so it's, it's since spread to the rest of the country obviously. And if you look at – I just read an article I think it was in the New York Times that – there are it was it was uh, disproportionately affecting minorities but now it's actually disproportionately affecting white individuals because a lot of those folks aren't wearing masks <laughs> and now you're finding some of the highest like if you look in our state of Oregon Mollier County has the highest per capita death rate and and some of the fastest rates of of positive tests is in Mollier County which is a very rural county and i'm assuming they're not observing some of the social distancing and and you know mask uh, rules that some of us are following. And, and to that point, it's funny because you have heard some Republican pundits say, I can't believe all these high-profile Republicans are getting COVID, but none of the Democrats are. It must be conspiracy. No, it's because you're not doing the basic <laughs> things to protect yourself, you fucking idiots. Like, this is not complicated. And, like, I, to me, seeing that something that's a public health issue has become political is so unbelievably dumb and disappointing like there are people who believe that covid is no more dangerous than the flu 
um, if you get it, uh, that it's no more contagious than the flu, that it's not a big deal. And that is not the discussion we should be having. Like, I'm totally for thinking through, okay, you know, if we're trying to protect people, how do we balance the need for people to, you know, get groceries, right? The need for businesses to, to sustain themselves, uh, for people to, to, to keep their job or have an income. Those are very fair conversations to have, but we shouldn't be questioning whether or not this once in a hundred year pandemic is more serious than anything we've ever seen. It's just the fact that it's become political to me is incredibly disappointing. So and and just to echo something that um, Fauci said, you know, this is a virus with tremendous capabilities. He's not just talking about the virulence of the disease. He's not just talking about the fact. Explain that, us you know, to it, us, normies, what virulence means. It's it's easy to catch. This disease this disease is very okay. easy to catch. Yeah, it's super right? super it, contagious. Yes, it is. It's it, you put some people in a room, and uh, you know a number of those folks are are asymptomatic, yet they are shedding virus, and they will call it a super spreader event, right? Like what Trump did at Notre Dame um, with the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Um, so okay, yeah, there's so much to unpack with this, but so the disease is not only you know you can catch it, right? But there are more and more articles coming out about possible long-term consequences of coronavirus. Right. There's this long hauler syndrome that's been described, where people just basically have chronic fatigue after they have the disease. There's been associations with um, cardiac risk, heart disease, right, with this disease. So it's not just influenza. And the other thing that's very disturbing about it is. We had an opportunity to bottle it up. You know, I just—I actually spoke to uh, someone who, who's from mainland China, and he told me, we're hardly even wearing masks in China anymore. We have no community cases. It's not spreading within China anymore. We're careful with people coming from outside the country. You know, we're quarantining those people. But we're walking around, and I just read that China's economy grew by 4%. I guarantee you our economy did not grow by 4%. <laughs> no, no, I don't know what the latest. I don't know what the latest numbers are. Um, so I think that's part of the conversation that I don't think gets popularized in the media enough that it's not just about getting sick. It's about the consequences of getting sick. Right. I, I That's super important. It's not just you die or you don't die and you're fine. Like right. when you describe to somebody what it's like to be in the intensive care unit, um, to be intubated, uh, this is not – anything that anybody wants to experience. I mean, people have recurring nightmares about being in situations like that. So aside from all of the long-term unknown potential problems, you're talking about, uh, you know, deep psychological, psychological damage that can be done from going through something so traumatic. I don't think anybody would wish that on anyone else. Right. Um, and it does, it kind of goes back to, when you're trying to find points of agreement with people on this, if you can't even agree with somebody else on the data that shows what the effects of this virus is and how easy it is for it to spread, it's very, very difficult to have a conversation with somebody, which also goes back to our point about disinformation, making people mistrust You know, the best available data that we have. People are skeptical, right? They think it's fake. They think it's a conspiracy. They can't articulate by whom and how this conspiracy to hurt Trump. Apparently, every single country in the goddamn earth is in on it. They can't explain that. But people are skeptical and that that all of this is kind of wrapped up together. And it's very, very, very dangerous. All right. So do you hear did you hear the Woodward tapes? 
the the recent Woodward tapes. And what a badass Bob Woodward is. I mean, seriously, he's been relevant for like what, thirty eight years or something. At least one hundred and twenty <laughs> years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I did. I I heard the tapes. Uh, for people who haven't heard them, what's what's the big what's the big deal? You know, I, I wish I had the actual text so I could do a good Donald Trump impersonation right now. But basically, Trump is saying, you know, this is an incredibly dangerous disease. It's much worse. He literally says it's much worse than the flu. You know, it's worse than the flu. It's, you're, spread, you're getting, through, it's spread through the air. You're getting young people are getting sick. He says all the things that he later refutes in public. And then, you know, his justification for that is that he didn't want to whip the country into a frenzy. He didn't want people to get nervous, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we don't need to relitigate that. But part of my disappointment with humanity in in the case of coronavirus in particular is that I tend to be sort of a happy-go-lucky, naive person. And I I really kind of thought uh, Trump had me fooled that that he, he really didn't think the virus was a big deal. And the fact that now that we have evidence that he was actually a lot more worried about it than he let on, now that that evidence is available, it just makes me incredibly uncomfortable, you know, with him continuing to be president. Really, it does. Well, I mean, so it put, to put some more color on this, this was an interview that Trump gave, gave with Bob Woodward in April, right? And the reason why this is a big deal is because what Trump was saying privately was pretty close to the best available information we had from experts. But what Trump would say publicly and what he was doing was not congruent with what he was saying privately, right? Like publicly, he was saying it's no big deal. You don't need to wear masks. You don't need distance. It's going to go away. And privately, he's admitting that it is a big deal. He just doesn't want to panic people. This goes back to one thing, right? Trump wants to be seen as a deal maker and a businessman. He doesn't want to hurt the economy. And also, by the way, to him, quote unquote, the economy basically means the stock market. It doesn't mean really how well people are doing. It, it means that that's the number he, that's what he can put in his brain and be like, look, there's a number I could track. So to him, he didn't want the economy to be hurt. And so he was lying to people, right? And, and people are okay with that apparently, which again, to, is just beyond me. And just to underscore that point, you know, I don't know what the statistics are. Joe Biden says one in six small businesses have closed. You know, I can I can feel it in our town. I mean, there's definitely businesses that are boarded up and they're not coming back. That has no connection with the stock market, right? The stock market is booming right now because investors are wagering that Apple is going to sell a hell of a lot more phones and people are going to be using a hell of a lot more distance technology. Well, yeah, they are. And I'm happy for companies to be able to make money, you know, doing that sort of work. But when it comes to what Republicans traditionally claim to support, you know, small business, hardworking men and women out there with their small businesses, this is an incredibly tough environment to compete in, right? So, okay, uh, let's table that. Let me ask you, if you were president, BCG is president, what would you have done differently, just in a nutshell, what, just as a broad theme, not like specifically I would have allocated you know, $200,000 for testing in hot zones or something, but like broadly, what would your theme have been? There's a couple things. Before this happened, we know that there was a series of guides that the previous administration left. It's called the, play, the pandemic playbook, right? People know- wait, 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 wait. Say that. Say that three times fast, please. Pandemic playbook, pandemic playbook, pandemic playbook. And people Girl. know that, you know, uh, smart people know that diseases come and go and, and people, you know, travel and things spread. So there was basically a plan on how to jump into action if we got the sense that something was spreading around the world. That plan was scrapped as was, you know, 
every Obama era policy that Trump could get rid of, he got rid of because he has an unhealthy obsession with Barack Obama. We can talk about that on a different episode. The first thing I would have done was to not get rid of that plan. That's pretty obvious. Specifically, <laughs> once we had a sense, oh shit, December, there's something happening in China. There's something that's extremely contagious. We need to start preparing ourselves now, investing right now in the things that we're going to need to take care of it, namely to be able to test and isolate people who may contract this virus, right? So if very early on, and you see other countries that did this to great effect, if you were able to test and to track and to isolate people, give people the resources they needed to stay at home, this could have been much, much less devastating. And I, again, I don't want to compare the United States to New Zealand. Very different countries. New Zealand is much more isolated, much smaller. But there, guess, You also filmed uh, Lord of the Rings there, so they've got that going for them. And Jurassic Park. Uh, what? Yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure. But New Zealand... <laughs> They don't have any active cases of COVID because they isolated. The NBA had months of close contact basketball, zero cases of COVID. Why? Because people were tested all the time. They were isolated before they got there. And again, you can't do that perfectly in a country as large as the United States. And we all acknowledge that. But you could have done much, much better, right? And so that's the thing where it's, again, it all goes back to Trump. He said it before. If you test people less, you'll have less positive cases. Well, no shit, dumbass. Of course, you're going to have fewer positives. You're not testing people. That doesn't mean that people are not sick. And it's all about, for Trump, the perception that everything's okay. He doesn't want to hurt the economy. That's what it boils down to. So that's what I would have done. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the term community spread is lost to the wind now. You know, we, we talked, Fauci said it early on, I don't know, March or April. Well, we, we now have community spread. That means we're screwed. That means it's- We're beyond, it's we're with, beyond the point where you can just isolate people. It's and within our borders. Again. It's spreading and it's going to take a lot more intervention to try and get this under control, right? So the best okay. thing you can do as of right now, just to say, is as much as practical, stay away from other people, Right. Limit the opportunity for it to spread as much as it can until you get to the point where you have, you know, better, um, you know, palliative methods with dealing with the symptoms of COVID or ideally a vaccine because you can't, you basically can't isolate your way out of this anymore, right? No, no, but, it's, it's too late. And you wear, can, you can, wear a mask. Can you just wear a mask? I mean, it's yeah. not... You know what? Carbon dioxide doesn't build up and make you sick. There's not germs growing in your mask that you're going to rebreathe that's going to make you ill. What it's going to do is collect respiratory droplets when you exhale and protect you to some degree um, if from other people in your environment who might be exhaling respiratory droplets. And they're saying that just wearing masks between now and early next year, I can't remember if it was February or March, you, we, could, we could save you know tens of thousands of lives. All we have to do is wear a mask. It's not that hard. And I will say this, like I... Uh, I, I did a little video um, to demonstrate that I was voting and I was doing some like fake basketball moves. I think you saw that video. And I was wearing you had a, a mask, mask on. Yeah, I had a mask had on. It. And yep. I will say this uh, Is it slightly inconvenient to be huffing and puffing and wearing a mask? Yes. Is it more comfortable to not wear a mask? Yes. But it's really not the end of the world. It's not that big of a deal. And people should be doing that. And again, like the biggest thing is that. If you don't have to gather with other people, then please don't. If you don't have to go to the store, then please don't. You know, stock up as much as you can when you go. Limit your exposure to other people. You don't need to be going to indoor restaurants right now. You don't need to be going to parties. You don't. You just don't need to do it. Just 
as much as possible. And this is especially important for people like me and you who are relatively young and relatively healthy, because even though this may not affect us as much, it may affect the people around us or the people around the people around us. So yeah, please do what you can. <sighs> yeah. This shouldn't right. be political, right? Like this should just be <laughs> public health stuff. It really shouldn't. I, I think honestly, I just, we're going to, we're going to close this out, but I, I think Trump, honestly, he could have cruised to reelection by just taking coronavirus seriously and listening and basically being like, He could have been like, a okay, hero. He could have been Fauci. like a worldwide hero. Fauci, what should I do? If if he had just listened, it would have been so much better. And yeah, maybe the stock market would have gone down a little bit. I think Americans would have understood, right? We would have understood. These are necessary these are necessary interventions that we need to take to stop the spread of this disease. I think I think people would have given him the benefit of the doubt if he had come come forth with, you know, legitimate information and 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 been straight with us. So, well, Brandon, we've come to the end of the podcast. You know, oh. I've had I've had enough. I could go on I mean, honestly, I bet you we could record, and maybe someday we should try to just record a three-hour. <laughs> I told you, I told you. We had, so no just for the for everyone listening, we had five topics. I don't think we got to all of them, and I was like, this could go on for like an hour and a half, man. Like, it's true. And if you listen to this whole thing, let me just say, you know, it was obviously for Brandon's insights, man. I just got to thank Brandon. He's got whatever. He's got emeralds and gems, just pearls, just pouring out of his mouth, man. It's amazing. <laughs> such a so, that's such a weird visual. To have like, yeah, yeah precious so, so gems what if you, pouring out of my mouth. I don't like it. What if what if you had a superpower and it was that you could have precious gems pour out of your mouth, but it was only only when you drank enough alcohol to throw up, and it would come oh. out in this like disgusting pool of vomit. And for whatever reason, the smell of vomit could never be washed off the gems, pearls, emeralds, rubies that you actually vomit up. Would you want that superpower? I definitely would, and here's why. <laughs> You get to choose when it happens, right? And as far as the smell, like, I don't really care. Like, as long as you can sell them, right? Like, as long as you can trade them for something that was useful. Like, so I, want, I want to pay off my student loan. Great. Just do that real quick. Like, no problem. So, and, like, international jewelers are going to have to come up with some sort of a scale. Like, you know, this is about a, a 10 of Brandon rating, and it's going to be this, like, differential that values the precious gems slightly less because they have this vomit smell. People, it's funny, uh, people have been working on more accurate um, smelling meters, right? Some way to quantify how strong a smell is. Um, part of that was spurred by, you know, the new cannabis industry around the country, legalized cannabis. To, to deal with livability concerns. So people are working on it. They're working on a smellometer that's that's accurate that can quantify how smelly something is. So that's a real thing. I need that I need that so bad because Naya and I, my wife Naya and I, we have this big disagreement about smells. She's very sensitive to smells. And, you know, I'll wash my hands at work with some particularly flowery soap or whatever. And I'll come home and she'll be like, oh, my God, that smells so bad. You need to go scrub your hands in bleach and get that off. And I could just bust out the smellometer and be like, babe, it's like a two. It's like a two. You don't need to – like, seriously, do I really need to go use Brillo right now for a two? I will say Maybe- in defense of that, there like – I can't imagine because I'm not super sensitive to smell, but if I were, I could see that being very annoying, to be fair. Like, you know. Well, I know, but th- there's bad smells, right? Okay, like the smell of a dead mouse in your wall. I don't, you've, have you ever experienced a dead mouse in your house? Because we've had the cat bring them in, right? And you're just like, dude, there's something wrong, right? Like, that <laughs> smell is super offensive. And then, like, you know, a mild floral smell, just my hands, like from across the room. I don't know. I'm I'm not saying that I don't love my wife. I'm just saying. That's one of our uh, 
marital disputes that we have. So um, that's fair. <laughs> I, you know, we're definitely going to have to wrap this up. But you know what I'm gonna what I'm gonna say is thank you for listening. If you made it all the way through this, you're truly an American hero. And um, I, I'm really hoping you're gonna. I know I'm just I'm, I'm putting this on you right now, Brandon. Is there any way we could try and sing the Ducktales Moon theme ourselves right now? And then you know when you splice the episode together, you can have the real version too. I'm gonna let you carry it. I want you to carry the day. It's, it's can, can I do the can I do the, the the high part and you'll join with the second part? You know what I'm talking about? See, that's the thing. Though. I haven't listened to it enough, and I don't have it in front of me to remember. So your part is just. Do, 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 see, that's the thing it. is, you seem to know it, and I don't. I don't have the I, melody in my head, unfortunately, so it's hard for me to replicate it. Well, what I wanted you to do is like do the part that's like. Let's aim for the next episode to be able to do an acapella of the Ducktales Moon theme song. How's that? Okay. All right. Cut all the rest of this out. No, this is staying in. This is staying in. And yeah, I. I appreciate you all too. One more quick thing before we go. Um, do you have any sense of what you might want to talk about on a future episode if people were interested in what we might be talking about? I'm going to stick to the broad theme of disinformation. We could go more into, I mean, there's so many topics we didn't dive into. I really want to talk about QAnon. I mean, we could spend probably Great. hours and hours on QAnon. There, I know a lot of people have you know, shed a lot of ink on the subject, but we need to educate ourselves. I think since my number one reason for wanting to do this podcast is to talk about disinformation, you know, I think we'll just keep coming at it from different angles and we'll continue to watch the news cycle. And I encourage everyone else, you know, when somebody is up there on TV telling you something, always ask yourself, you know, what are they getting out of it? And uh, you'll be a lot further along towards understanding what's going on. That's good. I like that. And uh, please vote. Election day is November 3rd. Many states you can vote early either by mail or in person vote as soon as you possibly can do what you can encourage your friends and your family to vote i i know it's it sometimes seems like it's daunting but voting is very important november 3rd please get your vote in and if you can produce a video like brandon did and you know slam slam your vote into the machine and then run away with the flail hands you should definitely do that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right man appreciate you good show all right thanks the 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 gold nerve <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.